Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good evening. For those who don't know me, my name is Josh. I'm one of the clergy here. I'm responsible for Holy Trinity on Boar Lane, which is a church right at the heart of the city. A few cheers for Holy Trinity there. Thank you. So how's your weekend going so far? I've had a really nice weekend. It was a lovely day yesterday, wasn't it? Sunshine, a couple of beers in the garden, a barbecue. And you know what? I can't think of a better way to finish a Saturday night than to watch two grown Norwegian men in yellow wolf outfits singing their hearts out about bananas. What a time to be alive. For those, for those who have no idea what I'm talking about, the Eurovision Song Contest last night. I'm still quite tired, actually. Midnight is a very late time to get to bed for somebody with three small children. But it was an amazing night, Eurovision. Uh, I'm proudly wearing my Union Jack socks today, as you can see. Uh, I, usually, uh, I usually feel a bit of shame when I put these on. Uh, but tonight I wear them with great pride because we finished second in Eurovision. What an amazing night. Yeah. But there's something wonderfully, I don't know if you've ever seen the Eurovision Song Contest, there's something wonderfully escapist about the whole thing. For three or four hours, once a year, we can forget about the tensions of war and climate change and all of the bad stuff and just focus on some mediocre pop music and cheap gimmicks for a few hours. Isn't that a wonderful thing? But the truth is, reality can be something that's really difficult to come to terms with at times. There are things about our world which are difficult. There are things about our lives which are difficult. But we have to confront them. We have to confront reality. We can't live up in a Eurovision bubble. We have to live in reality. And nowhere is this more profoundly reflected, I don't think, than in the lyrics of the United Kingdom's entrance to the Eurovision Song Contest this year. In his song, Spaceman, Sam Ryder sang... If I was an astronaut, I'm not going to sing it to you. If I was an astronaut, I'd speak to satellites. My navigation systems would look for other life, but I'd be up here thinking about what I'd left behind. Because I'm only human with the real world on my mind. Now, you might accuse me of looking for theological depth in the wrong places, but it seems to me that what Sam Ryder is getting at in these words is that there's something about what it means to be human that means that we have to confront reality. We have to live in the real world. And that's what we're going to think about tonight. Do we live in reality, or do we look to escape to some faraway place? We're continuing our series called Resurrection Hope as we explore what it means for us to live as people of Christ's resurrection. And as Eve was reflecting on Last week, we live in a time of now and not yet. Our lives in the present are shaped by a future that is still to be realized. And today we're going to be thinking about what it means for us to be transformed by living lives of heaven on earth. As the author Timothy Keller puts it, whose book we are following in this series, the resurrection not only brings the future into the present, but it also brings heaven to earth. It reunites people with the glory of God. 
As we said in our baptism liturgy, those who have been baptized this evening are given a place with the saints in light. Baptism marks a life in which we live lives of heaven here on earth. So is this just another form of escapism? I wonder. As Christians, are we guilty of living our lives up in space rather than truly engaging with the real world? As the theologian Paula Gooder writes, heaven is often relevant to individuals as they contemplate their future, but it's largely irrelevant to our everyday lives. I think that's probably true of a lot of us a lot of the time. When we talk about heaven, we're talking about somewhere we hope to go when we die. And even if we do talk about heaven in the present, we perhaps think of it as a faraway place, that it is distant from this real world with all its messy complexities and difficulties. But what what I want to explore this evening is that that is not a biblical vision of heaven. The Bible speaks of God's dwelling here on earth, God's glory being present here on earth throughout scripture. So we're going to explore that theme this evening a little, what it means to live as people of glory in this messy and difficult world. So earlier this year, we were reflecting on the book of Genesis. I don't know if you remember if you were here. And we were looking at those first two chapters in which Adam and Eve are created in the garden and in which the difference between heavenly glory and earthly reality was very difficult to discern. Adam and Eve walked in the presence of God as you might encounter a friend. Their encounters in the real world were ones of presence and glory. And a thread that we see throughout the pages of scripture is of God's people trying to get back to that place in which God's presence is with us in our everyday, in the way that it was in the garden of creation. So if we look in the Old Testament book of Exodus, we see a man named Moses who leads God's people out of captivity and slavery into the desert And he has an encounter of presence, as Adam does, on the side of Mount Sinai. Moses is confronted with the holy presence of God. And he is bold enough to ask, Lord, show me your glory. And he encounters the glory of God. He encounters the presence of God. And that leads eventually to the situation in which Uh, God leads Moses to create a tabernacle, a place in which God's presence can dwell and literally go with the people of God. It's a portable dwelling place, a little piece of Eden that God's people can carry with them as they journey towards the promised land. The the, The real life of the people of God in the book of Exodus is accompanied by the dwelling presence of God earthly reality contains something of heavenly glory. But the tabernacle does not provide access for all. The priest who enters the tabernacle on behalf of the people to sit in God's presence has to be wearing precisely the right garments. He has to have offered precisely the right sacrifices. 
And even then, he can only enter the holy presence of God for the briefest of moments. If we jump forward a little in the story of Scripture, we see the rule of the kings and King David, who seeks, like Moses, to find a dwelling place for the presence of God, a house in which God's presence can live here on earth, in which people can encounter God's presence today. And King David sets about building a temple to God, a temple in which God's presence can be located and can dwell, in which the distinction between earthly reality and heavenly glory is thin. But as with the tabernacle, so too with the temple. The presence, the dwelling place of God is not something that is accessible to everybody. Only the priests can enter into the Holy of Holies and offer sacrifices to God. It's important to notice, I think, that uh, Judaism is not like many other religions which have many temples in which the people can offer praises and worship to God. In Judaism, there is one temple. This is really important for their identity as God's people. There is one people, one law, one temple, because they worship the one God. So the temple is not just a place of individual sacrifice and worship, it is the gathering place, the place of unity in which God's people gather around God's presence. One temple, one people, one God. And it's against this backdrop of temple and tabernacle that we see Jesus enter the story. If you read the beginning of John's Gospel, John chooses to begin his narrative by using the words, the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us, made his dwelling place amongst us. John is telling us that the presence of God that dwelt in the tabernacle, that dwelt in the temple, dwells not in a physical space, but in a physical person. In the person of Jesus Christ, we see the one presence, the presence of the one God dwell for God's people. And this is precisely what Paul is getting at, I think, in our reading from Ephesians, in, in which he says, in Christ, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Those who were far away have been brought into this heavenly glory by the blood of Christ. In the death of Christ, we are brought into the presence of God. And Paul, here and elsewhere, uses the language of temple to explain what's going on. Where the presence of God dwell in the one temple, in the holy of holies, God is now creating a new temple. But unlike the tabernacle and the temple of old, in which only the priest who had offered exactly the right kind of sacrifice could enter, in this new temple, we are all invited to encounter the presence of the holy God. In Jesus, we have one who is both a perfect priest and a perfect sacrifice. We don't enter into this presence because we are holy, 
because we have done something right, but because Jesus has offered himself for us as our priest and our sacrifice. And so the story that we heard tonight in our wonderful testimony, which said, I used to be afraid of God, but now I know that God is kind. This is the story of the gospel. This is the story that once we were far away, but in the blood of Jesus, we are brought near. We are invited into this holy presence as God's people. That is remarkable news and a remarkable story that we need to hear afresh again and again. So where is the temple, I wonder? Where is this temple today? Now you might be familiar with this phrase, your body is a temple. It's a a phrase that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 6. But I find it very strange that this phrase has entered into our kind of cultural expression. You hear people talk about, if you're promoting this new kind of yogurt, which is good for your gut, people say, your body is a temple. Eat the right kind of yogurt, you know? Go to the gym more often. Your body is a temple. In fact, I remember when I was writing this sermon, I suddenly had a flashback that when I was 15 years old, uh, one of my relatives bought me a wash bag which had the slogan on it, my other body is a temple. Now that's really good for a 15-year-old boy's self-esteem, isn't it? Make of that what you will. But I think we've inherited this idea that this, the story of what it means to be the temple of God today is that we are each as individuals these siloed temples in which God's presence can dwell. And so we should really look after ourselves. Now this is not what Paul is getting at in Ephesians or in Corinthians, I don't think. We said together that there is one faith, one church, one baptism. We said those words together tonight. And it's still true that there is one temple of the Holy Spirit. We aren't suddenly millions of little temples. There is one temple of God's presence. And part of the problem is that, uh, part of the problem is about translation. Now I see your eyes kind of glazing over whenever a preacher starts to talk about translation and grammar. This is the bit where you can have a little bit of, uh, you can think about the football scores or whatever and come back. But this is really important. So in English, uh, we have, we use the pronoun you, and that sometimes we use that as a plural and sometimes as a singular. So if I say, uh, you are looking lovely tonight, uh, it's possible that I'm just referring to Josh here uh, in, that, in that fetching green jumper, but it's possible that I'm talking to all of you. Now, not all languages are like that. Uh, Scouse, for instance, uh, has the plural pronoun use. Uh, and so does Texan. So if you're from Texas, uh, we have the plural pronoun your. And Greek is like that. Greek has singular and plural pronouns. And in, in 1 Corinthians, effectively, Paul is saying, use, y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Use, you lot. As the theologian uh, D.T. Everhart writes, we are very quick to leap to the conclusion that every individual is their own personal dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. But a better understanding of these verses stresses that 
the body of individual believers is being built together into a single unified dwelling place for God. Or as we see in our passage from Ephesians, Paul says, in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. So where's the temple of God today? It's here. Look around you. This is the temple of God. To quote another legendary pop song, ooh baby, do you know what it's worth? Ooh heaven is a place on earth. I should really start singing these, shouldn't I? But the, the reality that we see in Ephesians is that the temple of the Holy Spirit is the community of the church. Whereas once the temple was built with imperfect bricks and stone and precious metals, the new temple, the temple of Jesus Christ, is built by the flesh and blood of the, of the church. What we do this evening when we baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is we welcome them to be parts of a living temple. To be parts of a living temple in which the presence of God can dwell, just as it did in the temple of old and in the tabernacle. And so to live lives of heavenly glory here on earth is not about us denying the realities of the world. It's not about me escaping into a personal spiritual silo in which me and Jesus can have some time alone. Jesus dwells in the midst of community, in the midst of the community of faith. Now, just as the temple was not perfect, we know that Solomon's temple was destroyed and did not last. Uh, we don't, we, we're not in fear that this new temple will not last, but we are aware that this temple is made up of imperfect material. We know that those of us who belong to the church have been hurt by one another. We have hurt one another many times. And to say that the church is the dwelling place of God is not to say that it will always be easy to be part of the community of the church. In fact, many of us know that it's not always easy to be part of the church. But what I want to encourage us tonight is not to give up on the hope that we find within the community of the church because it is in this community that we find hope, that we find the presence of God that won't solve all of our problems but will go with us into this messy and difficult world. And so that we can pray just as Moses prayed that God's presence would go with us into the world. Moses prayed that, if you're, that I will not go unless your presence goes with me. And we pray that tonight, that we will not go into this world unless the presence that we find in this community does not go with us. As the author of the book of the Hebrews writes, let us not give up the habit of meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let's not give up on the life of community because it is in the community of the church that we are invited as 
living stones to come and encounter the presence of the living God. Thank you for listening to the St George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.